before we begin then. Let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how fortunate we are to be in the presence of the Buddha's teaching, to be in the presence of the Mahasangha, who make every effort to bring us closer to the Dhamma day by day. Let us be also grateful to the power of our merits, which help us on this path as we make progress, move towards our ultimate goal. And behind all this is the great pillar of strength, the great mountain, the unshakable force that is the Buddha, who is our father, who is our guide, who is our great master. It is he who, who we always look up to in times of fear, in times of distress, in times of doubt. And so when we look up to him, he beams with confidence, wisdom, compassion, loving kindness. All these things just flood into our minds and hearts and all doubt, all fear vanishes. Just as one day the suffering that comes into your minds will vanish. Let us be grateful and thankful and bring our palms together in veneration of his greatness, his compassion, his wisdom, reminding ourselves that this is also an opportunity for us to renew our oath to ourselves, our pledge of allegiance to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and ultimately to Nibbana. May this veneration bring us one step closer to that ultimate bliss. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa The ultimate purpose of the Dhamma is really to understand who you are. This is what very few people in this world have understood. Whereas on the other hand, many people have understood all of the, or if not many of the other things, who others are, everything but themselves, the rest of the world. Today, there is no end to how far you can explore. As technology keeps advancing, you can go as far as you want or as deep as you want. But technology is never going to help you understand who you are. If you can, prove me wrong. Technology has kept on advancing. Today we even have things such as advanced artificial intelligence. But it's never going to tell you who you are. 
There's not a telescope or any kind of scope for that matter that you can use. Neither telescope nor microscope will show you who you are. If it did, by now, many Buddhas will be preaching the Dhamma throughout the world. No instrument, no apparatus, no equipment, no formula, no principle, no law, no theory, no hypothesis is to be proved or cannot be proved or whatever out there. Science alone, the science as we know it, technology as we know it, never gets you to understanding who you were. It can help you figure out the body and human behavior. But I'm referring to this sense of an identity that you experience in your minds. And the reason for that, ladies and gentlemen, is every observation that is made, either at this body, which is the closest object to you, or at the far stars in the heavens, all of these observations are made. All measurements are taken. Everything take, taken into the laboratory for analysis and then for further conclusions and then for further exploration and for further study. All of this are made based on one reality which people believe is real, but actually it is fake. That reality is the fake reality of self. So every measurement is made from you to something else. Everything is defined in terms of who you are. This, for instance, is a clock. Does it not have relevance to you as a self? This is a clock because you are a self. We define what this is based on who we are. Our identity, our definition of self has everything to do with what this object is. In fact, the very reason that this object came into being is because you identify yourself as a self. If you asked any other object in this room and if it had a, had a voice and could speak, None of it is ever going to say that this is a clock. It's just mass. This is just matter. Matter arranged in a certain order, in a certain configuration. But ourselves give this new meaning. It has a story. It tells you when something happens. It tells you what happens before when. Oh, sorry, rather when something happens and when something else is about to happen or what happened before something else. Without the self, this would have no relevance. Without the self, there will only be discrete individual events in this world taking, or taking shape because of causes and they will not have any connection to each other. But the moment you observe the world through the lens of self, now you need something that binds all these things together. You need a string that ties all these individual events, discrete elements together. And then once you've done that, you need to know how long that string is. Don't you? Once you have a string, now you need to know how long that string is, how long or short it is. This helps you measure that. <laughs> this is the string of time. This helps you measure time. 
every other object in this room has a connection to who you are as a self. Take a duster. This has a connection to who you are as a self. Because when you have a self, there's a way in which you observe the world. I'm, I don't know where this is coming from, but this is, I didn't expect to say all this. In fact, I didn't, know, I didn't know what to talk to you about today. And then I come and sit down and something happens. When you write something on the board, Oops, I made a mistake. To nature, there is nothing wrong with this. This is perfect as it is. Because this is not 132 to nature. You get it? Good, this not your head at least and that keeps me going. This is not 132 to nature. It's nothing to nature. But to me, to, to us as we observe it, there's a problem with this number. It was actually should, it was meant to be one, two, three. That is what it was meant to be. But this is what was written, so there's a mistake. Now because there's a mistake, there has to be a way of fixing it. And the duster comes to the rescue. You need this because you perceive that there are, there's a, there are problems in this world. In other words, there are things as they are not meant to be. Why do you have a mascara pencil? Why do you have a touch-up, what do you call them, brushes, so on? Why do you have a lipstick? Because there are things in this world and they're not meant to be like that. Says who? That's who. That's why I say all of these things, they have a story. And if you look at the source of all this, if you look at the origin story of all this, you have your sense of identity. Standing tall and strong and demanding and dictating and writing up an agenda, a script for how existence and the universe ought to be. See if you can think of any object in this room that is not connected to the sense of self, to your identity. Take the chair, for instance, that you're sat on. To the universe, a chair is not required. To nature, a chair is not required. Because if it were, humans would be born with them. So as you would come out of the mother's womb, You'd have a chair, you'd have a desk, you'd have a few textbooks, paper pencils and pens and erasers and rulers, so you can go to school with them. <laughs> huh? You'd be born with all of that. You think nature is imperfect? You think nature doesn't give you what you need? Nature gives you everything you need. Who here came into this world and then realized, oops, I don't have any lungs, let me go and find some? Hmm? Who ever had to do that? Ever heard of that? No, because nature is perfect. To sustain you, 
the way that nature intended, you've got everything you need. After that, people, you know, do all sorts to themselves and then they destroy them. If you're not careful, you can completely ruin your lungs. If you're not careful, you can ruin your liver, your kidneys, your heart, all of it. But when nature gives it to you, she gives it perfect. So then you'll ask me, well, what about those children who are born with a hole in the heart? Is that perfect? You'll ask me that. What about children who might be born with half a lung, one and a half lungs? Is that, is that perfect? It is. It's perfect. That is how it was meant to be. If you retrace those steps, go back to how the karma was done, that is what was, that is that their, their deeds represent, or the, the, the result of what they have gotten today represent the deed that was done. See, nature always responds like for like. If you hit, if you strike this desk, the desk strikes back at you with equal force. It's like for like. Nothing more, nothing less. If you give, you get like for like. Nothing more, nothing less. That is why we use physics to understand nature. Physics helps us understand nature. So nature responds with in equal force in an opposite reaction. It's perfect. Nature is perfect. So none of you were born and then you went looking for a heart or a lungs, right? Because if your deeds were such that you were to be born with a, with a fully formed human body, then here we are. If your deeds were done so that you were to be born with only half a lung or only one kidney or perhaps with half a brain or maybe with only one arm and not the other or maybe only one eye and not the other or maybe both eyes but blind. If this was how the deeds were done, that was what was ordered. And so therefore that is what is supplied. You order and nature gives you the, gives you, supplies you. That's how it's done. How unfair you might think. No, it's not fair. Unfair. It is as fair as fair can get. Your actions always determine what you get back out at the end of it, this process. So this is always, you know, whatever you've got in life, ladies and gentlemen, it was because of an order that you placed previously. And nature never got it wrong. That's the thing. You order a pizza, you order for, you order, what, ham and pineapple, they'll send you cheese and tomato. That's possible. They get the order wrong. But with nature, it doesn't happen. Never happens. Your complexion was pre-ordered. How long you're meant to live? Pre-ordered. Whether you were meant to wear specs or not, in the later part of your life, or in the early part of your life, right from day one, all pre-ordered. Whether you're going to be someone with a full head of hair or, or a bald head, all pre-ordered. Pre-ordered. And nature never got it wrong. Never. But here's the problem. People don't, don't like to think of it that way. They don't like to think of nature that way. Because what people think is they are perfect. Nature is imperfect. 
So if you are perfect and nature is imperfect, now you've got to go and change the thing that is imperfect. And by nature, I mean all things in nature. Anything other than your sense of self is nature. Your body, nature. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, what about them? Nature, absolutely, they're all nature. That is not your sense of self. That's just nature. Nature and nature's creations. All perfect. If there's a certain chitta that has to be born in a certain environment, no other chitta will ever be born at that point. It will only be that chitta. So nature is perfect. Look at this for instance. Pre-ordered. No kidding. It's all pre-ordered. You don't get anything you haven't ordered. But if you choose to ignore that fact, then now you have a bone to pick with nature. You don't like what nature has given you. Now you hold a grudge against nature. Now you start to curse the stars. You look up at the heavens and you start to wail. You start to complain and moan. And say, why is everyone like this to me? Why is God like this to me of all people? Then people start to complain. And you know what they're doing when they do that? Placing new orders. <laughs> Whenever you act with Raga, Dvesha and Moha, you're placing an order. That's the, these are the pre-qualifications for an order. When you go to Pizza Hut, can I say that on a sermon? When you go to a pizza shop, that's better. When you go to a pizza shop and you place an order, right? They'll ask you, all right, they'll ring it up and they'll say, sir, it's $25.37, please. They say, oh, hold on, let me get my money. Oh, I left my wallet at home. Ah, well. You'll come back later with your wallet? Can I place the order now and maybe go back home and then bring it later? Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You're going to have to produce some form of payment, sir. Maybe you got it on your phone. Maybe you've got a QR we can scan. Unfortunately, I've left my phone at home as well. Ah, unfortunately, then you're going to have to go back home and come back with some form of payment. Can you put it on the book? We don't have one, sir. I'm sorry to say. So, you have to go back home, bring your card, bring your wallet, bring your whatever, and come back and place the order again. So these are requisites for placing an order. You have to have a mode of payment. If you don't, no matter how, 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 how cheap it is, you still can't buy it. They don't, they're not going to give it to you. Now, in the same way, when you place an order, there are some requirements. You have to have Raga and Moha, or you have to have Desha and Moha, or you have to have Moha and Moha. In one of these three modes, you have to be, your mind has to be, before an order is accepted. So Rahatan Hansi says, May you be well, my child. So that message goes into the universe. And then there's a desk, metaphorically. There's a desk in the universe where they take in all requests. So this request comes in. May you be well, my child. 
So they take the uh, they take the order and they ask Raga, no, Desha, no, Moha, no. Unfortunately, we can't accept that. Please come back with Raga, Desha, and Moha, and then we'll accept this order. So that order is not placed. Someone else places an order. Not a Rahatanuhanse. One of us. We say, May you be well, my child. That also goes onto that desk. Arrives at the desk and they take in. May you be well, my child. Raga? Yep. Dvesha? No. Moha? Hmm. All right. Come on. Place the order. What was his question? May you be well, my child. All right. Send one of them back. May they be well as a result. So the order is placed and the order is fulfilled. So the may you be well is returned to the person who placed the order. That's how it works. May you be damned, someone else says. Rahatan Mahanse says, may you be damned. Unlikely, you know what I mean. I'm just trying to prove a point. Ratan wants it. May you be damned. Goes up to the desk. They take it. What was the order? May you be damned. Raga? No. Dvesha? Mm-mm. Moha? Not a cinch of it. Sorry, can't accept this order. Come back when you have Raga, Dvesha and Moha. See, Ratan wants it can scream and yell and shout at someone, even swear. But it is never done out of Raga, Dvesha and Moha. Therefore, those orders are not accepted. Somebody else says, I curse you. May the spot that you stand in be struck by lightning. That goes to the order desk. So the order is received. May the spot that you... Oh, wow. That's, that's some kind... That's some order. <laughs> we'll have to back order that. Anyhow, was it was there raga in there? No. Desha, all of it. Moha, uh, yeah, completely, entirely, fully. Right, we'll take that order then. It'll take us a little while to prepare that. Uh, three full moons from now, it's going to take a while. So, because the environment has to be right. Yeah? In three, three full moons from now, we will be sending that order. So kindly apologize on our behalf for the delay. <laughs> Order accepted and it will be fulfilled when the time is right. We are the creators of our reality. Everything that you have, you've given. Everything that you get is something you have ordered. All of it. Accept that. Accept that and you are at peace. I'm not saying accept that and you're not hurt. This hurts. If I cut myself, it hurts. I'm not saying accept it and you are not hurt. Accept it and you are at peace with yourself. Accept it and all you do is accept it. That's it. There's no comeback. There's no retaliation. There's no fight back and therefore there are no new orders. No new orders. These are all orders, <laughs> as I said a moment ago.
if you break a leg, that's an order that was placed. See, what I want you to do, ladies and gentlemen, is understand who you are. You know, your vipaka. Understand your vipaka. This is the this is the path to freedom. This is the path to tranquility. If you want to be serene, like the great lords did, the Buddhas, the Arahatun Mahanses, the Arahatarin Mahanses, you know, they achieved a sense of bliss, satisfaction, contentment, right? And you wonder, what was that? How did they get there? What is this sense of bliss? What is this sense of ultimate peace? That is to accept and understand who you are. They understood who they were. Because what they are, are ultimately, they are Vipaka. That is what it is. Their Vipaka is who they are. You are your Vipaka. Your mind is Vipaka. Your, your body is Vipaka. So therefore the two of them are collectively Vipaka. Your mind creates an environment to which the body conforms. The body creates an environment to which the mind conforms. So the two support each other. Like two sticks placed against each other and supported by each other and so they don't fall. Right? They, mutu- they mutually support each other. In the same manner, your mind and body, they support each other. But they're both Vipaka. So ultimately, you standing up upright is all Vipaka. Accept this. Accept, try and accept it with the, the profoundness and the gravity with which I'm trying to explain it to you. But then, alas, I can't get that feeling across to you. So, I keep trying, you keep trying, and we keep, both keep trying, and it will work one, one day. Accept who you are. Anything that happens to you, accept it. Accept it. Learn to accept it. Anything that happens to you. You are at a loss. Accept it. I'm not saying accept it and do nothing. First of all, accept it. Doing something or nothing about it is a secondary matter. Isn't it? It's a secondary matter. I'm saying immediately as it happens, accept it. Someone comes and slaps you in the middle of the street for no obvious reason. The first thing you ought to do, accept it. This is easier said than done because your internal response is always going to be, huh? Because the self always jumps out. The self always comes out. And say, whoa, 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 hold on, let me handle this. You say, no, no, no. Anything you've handled <laughs> never went right. right. So shut up, go take a seat, I'll handle this. You've got to be brave enough and diligent enough to step in when your self steps out. Most of the time, you can't, you, you are, it gets the better of you. So it jumps ahead before, before you. So you don't have the sense to catch it when it's there. The reason, the main reason, the reason that 99.99% of all human people in this world are not able to catch it is because they don't know that that's what's going on. They don't know that the self jumps forward and accepts his situation and says, let me handle it. Because they think that is all there is. I am myself. Was that not what you thought before you began to understand and learn the Dhamma? You are yourself, right? So when you said, I am a man, was there any doubt about that? I'm a female, I'm a male, was there any doubt about that? But today you begin to question that. Don't you? 
Someone asks you, right? Guru Handru asks you in a sermon, are you, are you a man? Are you male? And now you're like, hmm, not sure. What, you, you're not sure of your gender identity? Yes, no, no, not, not so. Because now you know that he's referring to the mind. <clears throat> because it is the mind that gives us our identity. The mind is simply, you know, this is, this is like a vehicle. Right now, the mind is the driver in this vehicle. Right? So, but before listening to the Dhamma, you had no recollection of this. You had no idea of this whatsoever. All of this was entirely you. It defined you. You were characteristically male or female. You were characteristically young or old or elderly, whatever. It was all part and parcel of who you were. Is what you thought. But now you're beginning to understand. No. Bhagava. We must be able to split and see the constituent components then make up this aggregate. After all, you are an aggregate. It's, an, it's a collection of things. That's why they call it the body. You are a mind body and a body body. Ultimately, you are all just a body. That's why they call them somebody. That's nice. But you know, it's a pity, isn't it? They say, there's somebody, there's somebody else. But then we say, this is my body, this body. They say, but of course you could say, I'm somebody. Yes, you are somebody. Some parts got together to create this body, which is an aggregate. So somebody, that is who you are. You know, give a new meaning to these words is what I'm saying. You don't need to go around telling people all about this because they'll think you're crazy. But as you say, you know, when you say, I'm home. Right? That's a very simple sentence, as simple as it can be. I'm home. When you say that, give it the proper meaning. What are we doing with anicca? You'll have heard the word before. What are we doing with anicca? We are perfecting our knowledge, our understanding, our comprehension, so that we give it the right meaning. Because the word was always there. It was in the Tripitaka. What we are trying to do is give the world new meaning. We are trying to give rupa new meaning. It's not new to the rupa. It was always what Rupa was, but our perception was wrong. Therefore, we always misunderstood the situation. We must misconceive the situation. The only thing that bothers me about this cough is the fact that when I, when I cough, it interrupts your samadhi. That's the only thing that bothers me. The coughing doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt me. It is, it's a cough, that's it. I'm happy to accept that. But it bothers your samadhi. That's why I'm trying to get it fixed as soon as possible. Now it's reduced so that it only happens when I start to speak. Unfortunately, I wish it was the other way around. <laughs> what can we do? So, you know, whenever you hear me cough, right, clear my throat, whatever, somebody, just somebody. So then your samadhi is not interrupted. Make use of everything around you. You know, when the Buddha was passing into Paranibbana, there were those who observed that insightfully. There were those who observed it without insight, foolishly. And they cried, they wept, 
They lamented and they grieved. That is the biggest insult that you could give to the Buddha. No matter what happens around you, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to teach you to accept everything, right? Accept everything. Someone comes and comes up to you and slaps you in the middle of the street, accept it. So what about this then? Accept it. Just look at how a body performs and functions in this manner. This is a collection of causes. In this moment, if the causes are such that it is to produce a cough, then a cough will be produced. That's it. It's not me, Swami Nuhase, coughing. It's not somebody, some person coughing. It's not an identity. Don't attach this cough to me. It's not mine. I'm trying to get rid of it. You're trying to attach it to me. Yes. All of us. I'm meant to feel it physically. You're meant to listen to it audibly and see it visually. This is, you know, it's, these are all vipakas. The difference is I don't get to see it because I'm looking this way. I get to hear it and I get, I get to feel it. You don't get to feel it. But instead, you get to see it. That's it. See what? A vipaka. That's all. Look at it like that. Insightfully. Then your samadhi is not interrupted. If you can promise me that your samadhi is not interrupted, I don't mind this cough. <laughs> I keep coughing till, till the end. Till my end. I don't mind. But don't, don't, don't let it interrupt your samadhi. Oh, come back to it. You know, the moment you hear this, this noise, come to your senses. Think of that as, you know, remember we, those days we used to do meditation sessions? Yeah, you get a sermon and then you meditate for a little while. You get a sermon, meditate for a little while. It's exactly what's going on right now. So I speak to you for a little while and then I give you a few minutes to meditate. Hmm? Don't you be like, Ayyo, Swami Nuhansa is still coughing. No, 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 no. Swami Nuhansa is not coughing. I don't know how to cough. I couldn't even if I wanted to. This is not my mind doing it. It's not the mind doing it. This is the body doing some, doing what it's meant to do given these causes. That's all. So come to that awareness. Always be in that awareness. If the roof falls over our heads, what do we do? If you're, if you're still alive, what do you do? <laughs> accept it. First accept it. I'm not saying then after that just sit on your seats and wait for someone else to come and do something about it. No, no, no. Let's respond. But first, accept it. Your first response should be, accept. That is your first response, accept. You're hungry. Your first response should be, accept. Then go find something to eat. But if your first response is not going to be your informed response, your insightful response, your wisdom response, it's going to be your foolish response. The self steps in and says, let me handle this. Don't you hear that? Let me handle this. You, you hear it. There's a voice at the back of your head. Mother-in-law comes. Hmm? She says, she, so she walks into the kitchen. She's taking her liberty now. She walks into the kitchen. Right? You've cooked something. Mother-in-law comes in. She dips her finger into the what malu? Polos malu. Hmm? She takes a piece and she bites it. Hmm. I don't know how he manages this. Huh? 
That is her first comment. Poor thing. This is what he has to eat now. How does he eat this? This is the first comment. Your first response should be what? Accept it. Otherwise, there's going to be that voice in the back of your go, let me handle her. <laughs> Trust me, anything that person handled. What person? Yourself person. Anything yourself handled never ended right. You always ended up placing orders. You picked a fight. You attached. You got into conflict. All of these things happen because you let that person step in. This is, so whenever that guy steps in, steps forward, that is a moment of Ioniso Manasikara. That is what Ioniso Manasikara is. I think someone had asked a question, how, you know, I, we, Anasaminas, we understand the Dhamma now, but how do we reflect, how do we apply this at home? When we are out and about, how do we, how do we handle this? How do we manage our minds, our thinking process, our thinking patterns? Spot the self trying to step forward. It'll happen. Just because you listen to a sermon, it's not going to, it's go, it's not going to stop just like that. Okay? It will happen. The first thing you have to do is catch it. Ah, there's, there's the guy stepping forward. There's the demon. There's the devil stepping forward. Catch it. Because don't let the devil advocate you. That's the devil advocating you. Don't let the devil advocate you. Because the devil has wants and needs. Never trust a man who wants something. Simple as that. Never trust a man who wants something. Because he will come to you because he wants something. He'll come up to you and say, I care about you a lot. I want only the best for you. Within brackets, always. Caveat. Provided I can get what I want. He's always there. See? Right. I'm going to give you a few statements and I want you, in your minds, to complete it with this. Okay? Then you'll understand the kind of life that you live right now. Good morning, honey. What would you like for breakfast? Shall I bring you a cup of tea? Shall we do bed tea today? Would you like um, a sandwich or some cereal? Maybe some oats? Or shall I cook something? What would you like? They ask you. How about lunch then? Are we going to go out for lunch? Shall I come and see you at the office? Or shall, I, shall we do some packed lunch today? What, what, what would we like? Don't trust a person who has a want. Never think that they're doing it all because of you, for you. Okay, so it's Valentine's Day. Honey, I love you. No? <laughs> Will you marry me? 
Will you promise to be my wife, my husband, forever? Forever, they say. They even say forever. I mean, come on, that contradicts entirely what's on the board. It's not forever, it's as long as, as long as I get what I want, forever. <laughs> this is the unsaid truth. If you've seen people getting divorced, getting married, getting divorced, splitting up, couples coming together, living together, and then several years later they split up, it's always been because of this. If this condition is unfulfilled, no relationship can last. If this condition remains unfulfilled, no relationship can last. There are some relationships in which they work on this, they work on ridding this. You see the difference? One of the two partners, or two of, both of them, they work on reading this, provided I get what I want. So they work on eradicating their wants. Those relationships, they have life. Because now it doesn't matter whatever the other person says, because there's no what I want there, therefore whatever you say, accept. But you can't accept when inside of you, there's that devil stepping forward, the devil's advocate. <laughs> I mean, that's an idiomatic expression, but here I'm using it to mean something else. The devil advocates. Let me handle her. Let me take that. The boss comes to you and says, right, you're going to have to stay up, uh, stay, stay a few hours late today. And then the, guy, the devil comes in, let me handle him. Catch it when that happens. Your mindful awareness is required for this. This is what mindful awareness is, is needed for. It's not just, you know, looking at things and doing whatever you do every day and just being aware and mindful about what you're doing from a physical sense. It's about catching those defilements, those demons, those devils when they step forward. The demon of yourself is the, is the demon that needs to be slain. Yeah, absolutely. Both Raga and Indesha, yeah. See, when someone walks up to you and says, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Right? If you don't catch this, because to catch this, you need to be mindfully aware. You need to realize that this is, these are merely words that are said to fulfill this desire. Right? So you then th start thinking, why so? Because ignorance and attachment are working in that mind. So therefore, right now, they need something to be fulfilled. There's something that they want. And so they're seeing, saying these words in exchange for something that's going to make them happy. If you're not mindfully aware of this, now the demon steps forward and says, let me handle her. Then you want to put a ring on it. That's what you want to do. Then you want to take it home. It... Hmm. Uh, him. You want to take them home, you want to introduce the, them to your mother, which later on you will regret. But in that moment, you know, what is true in that moment is what is true for you forever. It seems like that. The mind is always like that. What is true right now seems true forever. Because in this moment is when your future is created. The future is not created in the future, by the way. Yeah. It's not created in the future. So therefore you have no idea what the future is like because the future is created right now. What would you like to do after the sermon today? 
How is it possible that I can ask you this question right now? If the future weren't created right now, how could I even ask you this question and for you to, and to expect an answer from you? What would you like to do after the sermon? Okay, what would you like to do this weekend? Buffering. Hmm? And then answers start coming up. Wait a second. Is it you that's going to be doing the future things? No. So you're making decisions entirely on behalf of someone else, right? Somebody else? Yeah, you're making decisions on behalf of somebody else. How do you know what they will want then? You don't. So the future is created in this moment. I'm, I'm trying to explain to you why your future plans change, why you have regrets, right? All of these things, you'll begin to find answers as soon as, as, soon as you start looking at who you are through this lens. Trust me. Trust me for now, and you will ha accept with conviction in a moment. Take, a sing take an individual chitta. This is the chitta that arises in this moment. Okay? Right now, let's say it's getting a bit cold in here. Let's just say, for argument's sake, it's getting a bit cold in here. I'm going to talk you through how you make decisions in life, all based on the present moment. So it's getting a bit cold in here. Then you think, you know what? I need to, I need to buy myself a jacket or a jumper at least, so that when it's cold, I can wear it. But this is the only time, the only place where you're going to be cold. Because as soon as the sermon's over, you're going to come and say, this, no, I mean, so the, the AC is too cold, so we're going to change the setting as well. And at home, you're not generally cold. Walking outside, you're not cold. You don't live in a place where it's cold, so you don't really need that. But in that moment... When you experience cold, right, you start to plan a future. So then you'll tell yourself, I need a jacket, I need a jumper, because what if I'm cold again? So I need to get it. Have you not, have, you, have your choices of, like, to buy something never been interrupted and hampered by some, your parents, your, your, your spouses or whoever say, do you really need this? And then you come up and say, yeah, I need it because, you know, the other day I was trying to write and then I didn't have a pen, so I need to buy a pen. But you have a thousand pens at home. Yeah, oh, okay. But you don't, you don't think about it. In that moment, you feel what you feel and you project that into the future and the future becomes real for you in that moment. You, you, whenever the future is created, it is created in the present moment. I'll give you a few more examples so it makes more sense. When you're passing, say, uh, a restaurant a food shop, fast food restaurant, right? You, you, you drive past a restaurant, say a chicken shop, fatty food, right? This kind of fast food restaurant, and you experience the smell of the food, right? And it's, you like it. It's very appetizing, and now you think, okay, so you, you smell pizza. So then your mind's gonna say, tonight we're gonna have pizza. It happens in a flash of a second. Because you're always influenced by the environment that you're in. If you drive past a pizza shop, chances are you're going to have pizza tonight. They've done the math. Otherwise, why do they do the outside? Chances are you're going to drive forward, turn around, do a U-turn, and you'll come back and park outside.
In fact, you know, if people could, you know what they'd do? They'd make these shops and they'll create, they'll, they'll put the car park about 200 meters in front. Because that's where you're going to park the car. Because the thought's going to occur to you the moment you hear that noise. And then about 200 meters forward, you're going to want to stop. Or at least they put a roundabout so you can turn your car around and come back to the shop. Because in that moment, you make plans for the future. The chitta that arises when you hear the noise of the kottu, that chitta decides what you're going to have for dinner. What, what right does it have to make that decision? What, on what authority does it make that decision? This is only the present chitta. How does it decide what, your, what the future you is going to have? But you see, this is how it happens. In that moment when you experience that smell, that sound, right? When you experience that, now the chitta starts to make a decision, starts to, starts to ex- perceive all this. And because jati is taking place right now, the future is always projected. It's like as you walk forward and you have a torch in your hand, isn't the future always project- projected to you? Hmm? You're walking in the dark with a torch in hand. The future is always projected to you. So you know where you're going to put not only the next step, but the step after that, as, and maybe even the next the step after that as well. Because the future is always projected to you. Jati is just like that. When Jati happens here, when Jati happens here, and if this is, these are the chittas that are, so this is the direction which time is about to flow. So when Jati happens here, you look forward and you plan for this chitta, you plan for this chitta and so on. Because it's jati that's taking place. The chittas don't know that I'm planning on behalf of chittas. If it did, then it's not jati. Is it? The chitta does not know that I'm making a plan for the next chitta. What it thinks is I'm making a plan for myself. It is I who's going to be there. It's I who's going to be having dinner. So what do I want to have for dinner? Kottu. On what authority does it say this? How does it make that decision? Can you decide, sir, what this gentleman is going to have for dinner? Well, then you do that every day. We all do that every day. We decide what somebody else is going to have for breakfast, what someone else is going to have for lunch, where someone else is going on holiday. All of these things we decide. This is because of the nature of jati, and jati, the moment it's created, it, it, it casts a future. And what you want now is you imagine what you will want then. That's why when you go and sometimes you go shopping and you buy things. That's why advertising works as well. Advertising is fantastic in that regard because all advertising has to do is not promise you what will happen in the future. It just has to promise you what's going to happen now. That's it. It just needs to promise you what's going to happen now. What you perceive in the present moment, you do the future forecasting. The advertising doesn't have to do that. So provided it excites you in this moment, provided it excites you in this moment, provided it gives you a reason to buy it in this moment, you will do the forecasting into the future. That the jati-inflicted mind can do perfectly. See, if that is not the case, ask yourselves, this, are, this is why you have regrets sometimes about the things you purchase. You think, why did I buy this? And you think, bad, you know, poor decision, I shouldn't have bought this. But when you bought it, you had, you had no doubts, no suspicions about that. Because you projected the future. 
So I say, all things, all of your actions right now, for as long as jati takes place in the mind, ladies and gentlemen, don't trust your actions to always be right for you and right for others. Yes, because you have the, well, as long as there's the sense of self, there's a sense, you know, that you always have wants and desires, you know, provided I want, I get what I want. In, in that sentence, you saw two eyes, didn't you? Provided I get what I want. The, the whole, you, you can't construct that sentence without the I provided, get, want. Makes no sense. I want and I get. These are the two main things that drive the entire world. I want and I get. Everything as we know it, this world as we know it, business, commerce, politics, right, science, advancements in that health, beauty industry, communications, everything, all based on I want, I get. Yeah. This is what's going on. When you behave in a certain manner, when you want to take a certain action, take a certain step, don't trust yourself 100% that this is always right for you. Ask yourself, has the demon stepped forward? Is this the demon speaking? To tame that beast, first you have to catch the beast. You got to. Most people don't know that this, this is not the real me. Most people think that when the self speaks, it is, that is, that is me. There's, you know, there, there's not a hidden truth. They don't understand this. So they think when the self has spoken, that's it. That's, that's the ultimate choice. I want it. In fact, you know, you were fooled. You were deceived. Throughout life, you were deceived. Your sense of self always stepped forward and made decisions on your behalf. These are the decisions that you today regret. The choices that you've made in life that you regret. Always because the demon stepped forward. The devil stepped forward and made decisions on your behalf. Let me handle that. Let me deal with that. Let me talk to her. Both the, both the parts of your life where you had to fight against someone as well as at part, times in life where you, where you got into some kind of bond or relationship or attachment with someone. They were both the same. Someone comes and says something nice about you. See how, how much people are fooled? See, one of the best tricks that vendors use to sell things to you he says something nice about you, isn't it? No? Like when, you know, say street vendors. I'm not saying, that, you know, I'm not criticizing them or accusing them of deception. All I'm saying is, this is a well-accepted trick. When people come up to you, maybe say a door-to-door -door salesman. Right? You, they knock on the door, you walk up, or you see a street vendor. Right? Or if you walk into a showroom, whatever, to buy something, to the market, to the, to the street, to the shop, they make you feel good, first of all. Ask yourself why it works, and then you'll be embarrassed. Yeah, because they know the moment they say something nice about, about, yes. The moment they say something nice about you, it's like, you know, rubbing the lamp, Aladdin's lamp, right? The moment they say something nice about you, the genie comes out of the bottle. You called, the devil comes out of the den. The demon comes away. All you have to do is call the demon. They'll come out. So I say, oh, 
Sir, you look very smart today. You called? This is the booth app. It works. You know, you can laugh about it, but you know it works with you. When someone wants to get some money from you, and even if it's a, a poor person, what do they normally do first? They sweet talk you, don't they? And they pingvat mahatmya. See, why, how come you're always so pingvat when someone wants something? Think about this. Why are you always, why, how come you are elevated to this, to this state of veneration, to a state of you know, high generosity and charity? The moment someone wants something, they create the charitable you first and then they expect charity. They create the charitable you first. Oh, people are masterfully making you dance on a stage that is, that, and enact their script. You go to Anuradhapura, Polonnaru, wherever, right? I'm just coming up with names that I am familiar with. But wherever you go in the world, right, people will walk up to you. And it's rather than talking about what's, why they need something, they'll tell you how good you are. That is the better thing. That is the easier thing to do. Positive thinking. It is. Pingvat Mahatya. Then they start telling, oh, how wonderful, you know, this sir and his children. What a wonderful family. Because these are the things that you like to hear. Provided I get what I want. Remember? They know this art. They know this art. So they'll start giving you what you want. And then now you are in debt. Now you are in debt. I'm not saying stop being generous. Be as generous as you'd like to be. Because if you're giving something, giving, give it wholeheartedly. Right? That's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is... Don't give because your ego has been patted. Catch that, because that's the devil speaking. That's the demon. Give because you want to do good. Not because good has been done to you. That's the wrong reason to give. If you are giving because good has been done unto you, what good is that I should ask you first? What good are you referring to? Well, they patted my ego. Is that the good you want? They said nice things about me and my family. They said, Mahatya, what a beautiful wife you have. Now, now, you, now you are on you know, seventh heaven. Now you want to give like anybody. You want to give. See, they create the, the, the charitable person within you first. This is the master art of manipulation. Understand manipulation, don't fall for it. Especially if it's not going to be doing you good. Now we manipulate you all the time. Which remind you how dreadful sansara is. We tell you, what if you die on your way home today? When was the last time that happened to you? But we keep telling you every day, right? We make you fear death. We make you fear the four great hells. We, make, we try and remind you that life is just like a drop of water on the edge of a, grass of a blade of grass. You're susceptible to everything that's going on around you. We remind you about this. So many times have I said, not to you, that 
you're, you're going home today, but what are the chances of you coming back the next week? And we say, well, one of you is always going to be going, not, not going to be here next year, right? But you've been coming every week, week and week on. You're, you're always here. So you begin to wonder, what is he doing? Is he trying to manipulate us? Yes, I'm trying to manipulate you. Unashamedly. I'm trying to manipulate you because I'm trying to do what is right for you. Manipulation done for the right reasons is, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it earns me more merits as well. Because I'm trying to put you on the right track. But if I'm trying to manipulate you because, not this, the one that was on here before. Provided I get what I want. Right now I'm trying to manipulate you so that you get what you need. If I try to manipulate you because I want to get what I want, that's placing an order. That's placing an order on my behalf and it's a trap that you will easily fall into if you're not mindful and yourself will step forward. Your demon will step forward and say, let me sort it out. Let me handle this. All that credit you will see that you have to get, all that praise you feel that is, is, is directed towards you and then once you step forward, logic, rhyme, reason, they all jump out the window. That's why sometimes you end up saying, you know, that man, he fooled me out of my money. Chances are, they said things that made you feel good. They gave you what you wanted. So don't let that be so. If you have something you want, people will somehow get what they want from you. So don't have something that you want. Honestly, Ask yourselves, if there's something you want, people will get what they want out of you. <laughs> if you have something you want, you are a walking danger, waiting to, be waiting to happen. If you want Nibbana, people will get something out of you. Usually if you want Nibbana, you're going to be with a teacher. So that teacher will get what they want out of you. In other words, they'll get you to Nibbana. So it works in both ways. That is Chanda. Chanda, Chitta, Virya, Vimansa are four attributes that you need to have on the path to Nibbana. It works that way as well. Chanda is the desire that you have towards Nibbana. Chitta is the way in which you conduct your mind, your thoughts towards Nibbana. Virya is your effort that you make towards Nibbana. Vimansa is the insightful wisdom with which you analyze that is also required to, for, your, for your salvation. That is one aspect. Nothing wrong with that. So someone will say, don't do this. If you do it, you are got, you're not going to be able to attain Nibbana. Then you stop doing that because Nibbana is what you need. People can manipulate you. That's good manipulation. But on the other hand, if there are things, worldly things that you need. See, did your parents not get you to do work in your studies and do your homework and pass your exams because they were things that you wanted? I want to watch TV. Go do your homework first. I want to PlayStation. Do your homework first. I want to go to uh, whatever land, do your homework first, get your exam results first. Whenever you have something that you want, people will get what they want out of you. Fortunately, when we have parents and teachers, they'll always only have our best interest in mind. But the rest of the world, I can't say the same about. Sorry to say, but I can't even say that your better half or your other half always has your best, best interest at heart. I can't say that. I can't give a cast iron guarantee about that because most of the time that is not so. 
it's always provided I get what I want. Otherwise, why don't they stick when the times are tough? When you're not doing what satisfy, what, what doesn't satisfy them, why don't they hang around? So it's not always that they have your best interest at heart. And this is not meant to, you know, cause distrust within your relationship. I'm just saying, understand what a relationship is. Understand that you're meddling with fire. You've got to understand fire before you light one, right? Otherwise, you're going to learn the hard way. So if you're playing with fire, if you're trying to tame a demon, then understand what you're trying to deem, what you're trying to, to tame. Understand fire before you start playing with it. Living with another person and trying to create, have, a, have a relationship with them is, in every sense of the word, it's a gamble. It's a gamble. You know it. This is news to you. Because what they want today is not what they want the next day. Where they want to go today is not where they want to go the next day. And you can't blame them for it because that is how chittas work, ladies and gentlemen. That's how chittas work. See, every time you separate, you're separating a separate separation. Huh? That's like how many chucks did wood chuck chuck? Every time you separate, you're separating a separate separation. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Every time you separate, you're separating a separate separation. Because it's each chitta doing the separating. What this chitta wants is not what the next chitta will want. You can't expect that of chittas because each chitta will want what it wants in the environment with, in, in which it is. Remember, when the next chitta arises, it's going to arise never in the same environment. Never. Why so? Because it is now arising in an environment in which the previous chitta has been. So it's never. There's never going to be the same environment twice. The mind is so fickle. It has to be so. It has to be so. That's why I say, you know, being in a relationship is like a gamble. You don't know what the next roll of the dice is going to bring you. If the roll of the dice is so, what's you say, uh, un, it's unsomething. Unpredictable. unpredictable. Thank you, sir. If the roll of the dice is so unpredictable, what about the next chitta? How many chittas arise and fall before, that, before the dice settle? Of course. So how unpredictable it is. Not just that chitta. What about this chitta? The chitta which, which you are, with which you are trying to predict something. What you want in this chitta may not be what you want in the next chitta. But then you'll say, why can't you understand me? Today you ask for this, tomorrow you ask for something else. Why are you like this? Why can't you keep your mind on something? Why can't you, why can't, after you've made a decision, why, why can't you keep to it? All the while you're, you're complaining to someone about their flaws when you have the same flaws yourself. You're not complaining about it. You're complaining about this right now, not realizing that you are no different. This is how chittas work. So therefore, every chitta, when it creates a separation, it's going to be a separate separation to the next one. The next separation that a chitta creates, this one. 
Hmm? If this is one and this is the next one, sorry, this is one and this is the next one. In this chitta, it comes up with a separation. Let's say something like this. In the next one, it will be slightly a different shape. Now that's a separate separation. In the next chitta, it will be something different. Overall, it will look similar. It will look similar, but it's not the same. So therefore, chitta after chitta after chitta, by the time you get to the billion chitta, it's going to be a very different shape. This is where it started. Now, it would be wrong to say that it is this that has become this. Because then you have to put it into the dimension of time. And now you're talking about static things that change. It's not so. In each chitta, you take a different object and each of those objects are perceived only in that chitta. And your conclusions are made only in that chitta. Each chitta makes its own conclusions. It's like you're living life with a billion people. You know, you're... <laughs> forget about trying to keep a relationship with somebody else. Hmm? Okay? Forget about... Yes. Forget about trying to keep a relationship with somebody else. How on earth do you manage to keep on with yourself? When you are so fickle, when what you want now is not what you will want in the next chitta, I'm not talking about the next day, how do you keep a relationship with yourself? All because there are I wants. You know, this chitta says, provided I get what I want. You know what the next chitta says? Huh? Provided I get what I want. You know what the next chitta says? Provided I get what I want. So this is why you living with yourself is the biggest punishment. Don't you think so? <laughs> you think you, you sometimes tell to other people, putting up with you is the biggest punishment that I've ever got in my life. No, no, there's a bigger one. You living with yourself. Because here's, you know, I'll, I'll show you why. Right? So in this chitta, you want this. So you go to the shop and you buy this. On the way back, you see a, a, a billboard. Hmm? Or you get a, pick up a leaflet from the store, right? Or someone just walks past and they have this one of these in their hands. So you bought this, and you 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 paid all your you know you uh, you spent all your hard-earned cash, and you're you're coming home with this. Someone walks past you and they've got this in their hand. So you're going this way, they're going that way. You go, oh, I want that. <laughs> That's what you do. You know, kids do this all the time. You go and buy them something, and then they say their friend, their friends playing with something else, and now what they do? I don't want that one. I mean, I want that one, because they don't realize that you know once you've made your mind up, you have to live like that. I mean, they haven't accepted the the norms and the ways of the world. Right? Once you made a decision, you have to keep to it. But then the moment you go and ask me, can I have that one? Amma says, no, I already bought you the other one. You know, to a kid, it makes no sense what you just said. It makes no sense. This is parenting, smart parenting. This, the, to the child, it makes absolutely no sense why you're saying, I already bought you that one, why are you asking for another one? Well, the last time I wanted that one, you got me that one, so why, how come I am asking you this one, I'm not going to get that one? It makes no sense to the child. Then you tell the child, no, that's not how things work in this world. Once you get something, you've got to live with it. Why? 
How, how do you answer? Why? You've got to put up with that now. Why? You've got to learn to live with the choices that you make. I never made that choice. My choice is this. Well, my choice is this. Because the child appreciates the choice that they have made at that moment. I want this one. Not that one. But you asked me for this earlier. Yes, that was me earlier. Now I want this. You get me this one. And the mother says no. So the child starts to cry. No wonder the child starts to cry. <clears throat> so now you have to try and teach the child that that's not how things work in this world. Once you've made a decision, you have to live with it because there's a price you have to pay otherwise. See, you can't just go back to the store and say, Sir, can I exchange this for this? If this is in the store, then they might do. But if not, they'll say, well, I can, we can only give you a voucher. We can't give you money back. So then you can only buy something else that is in that store, and that is this one, not this one. They don't, have, they don't stock this. Now you've got to cheat the child. See, Pata, once you make a decision, you have to live with that. Otherwise, there's a price you have to pay, a hefty price you're going to have to pay. You can't just keep changing your mind like that. But the kid wonders, why? Why is it that the decision I made in this chitta has to be the decision in this chitta? Why is it so? To a kid, makes no sense. So don't fight with them when they come and tell you that they want something else because it, to a kid, makes no sense. Then you begin to explain to them the ways of the world and how your decisions you have to live with. You have to face the consequences of your actions. All these things you've got, you got to teach them. It makes no sense to them. You live in a chitta. So when that demon steps forward, first of all, try and catch it. Once you've, once you've caught the demon, right, put chains on it, right, put whatever you want, handcuffs, whatever on it, remand it. Have it remanded. And then once you've done that, now, first of all, accept it. Accept the situation. That is again not saying that you shouldn't be doing anything about it. You know, if your house is on fire, don't just accept and say, oh, I'm not said accept it. Don't do that. But first, I, I take it, this is much harder said than done, okay? So you'll wonder, so I mean, so what are you going on about? House is on fire and you're telling me to accept it. That's because you misunderstand what I'm trying to tell you. That's why you have this question in your mind. That is not what I mean. I don't mean let it be on fire. What I'm saying is, why is your heart on fire? It's the house that is on fire, not you. <laughs> so if the house is on fire, why are you on fire? Are you the house? Well, guess what? You've just become. You have become. Because in this chitta, if that is the house, if you are the house owner, now when the house is on fire, the owner is on fire. You become the house owner, so you are on fire. See, you, the house is on fire and you don't know about it. What's going to happen? You don't know about it. It doesn't bother you. And then you get a phone call. Oh, sorry to say, your house is on fire. What? Now you're on fire. Because in that moment, the house owner is created in the mind. These are the profiles or the personas that we talked about in one of those days, a few weeks back, I think. That persona 
cre- is created in your mind and you know that is that is who you are when you're thinking about your boy your son you are a mother these are very subtle things I'm, I'm i'm sharing with you because i feel this is an audience with which i can share these things you know we got the swami nonsense on one side the anagarika is on one side and you all on one side you're your con- your, your diligent practitioners of the dhamma so actually ladies and gentlemen don't take this at, at surface value what i'm tra- what i'm trying to explain to you are very subtle things in fact you know i'm asking you to catch the devil when it steps forward you know how difficult that is it's almost impossible and it is impossible for someone who's who's never done this before who's never heard the dhamma before because they don't even know that it's somebody else they don't even know that jati is a manifestation here it's not the same as the as the chitta right so what i'm asking you to do is not an easy task i i you know that's granted but nonetheless that is what you need to do so here's where the pratipada the practice is important understand this and then put it into practice as much as you can so when that happens so we talked about the two sides of it one where there's an there's an element of conflict where something you don't like has happened and the demon steps forward and says let me handle it and then on the other side someone said something nice about you someone's given you something maybe someone's given you a gift a compliment right so uh, whatever and then you have this almost adoration for that person it happens don't jump into conclusions so so quickly you know these are this is advice that parents often give young children boys and girls right just because what happens typically end of the tuition class right your daughter's out there and the boy comes and says you're pretty oh, enough that's enough that's enough if he said i'm pretty he's going to marry me and we're going to have kids together and we're going to live together and we're going to die together where did that come from all he said was said was you're pretty that's it especially if this is the first time you've heard this and you've never been cheated on before you're so naive so gullible right and this is what happens and then after that whatever the mother says the father says no try taking that home and say amma you know what happened today what this boy he came up to me and he said i was pretty mother says forget that nonsense go and do your work but ammi i'm sure he loves me you all all he said was you're pretty that's it in that moment this chitta that chitta thought that this sight was pretty that's it you're dealing with chittas in the real world but in this imaginary world you're dealing with fixed entities you see the danger in that hmm just think about this for a second right i give you a few hundred bucks you go to an old car salesman and they sell you a car the brakes don't work especially the brakes don't work right so you bring it home you take the shell off only the shell the chassis is the same the brakes still don't work we've taken the shell off and we've replaced it with a brand new bmw shell now what do you have a brand new bmw you have is it so now you get into your car and you start driving all the while thinking look at my beamer i'm driving my beamer you lower the windows pump up the music you're going like this yeah 
And then now a cow jumps across the street. Oh, not jumps, but walks across the street. Now what does this cow have to do? <laughs> exactly. Now he starts applying the brakes. He thinks he's driving a BMW. But what is he applying the brakes on? A piece of old metal. It's not going to work. You're going to get into that crash. And the, both the cows are going to die. This is exactly what goes on if you don't realize as in the real world you are dealing with chittas and chittas are fickle. Each chitta is an is an is something is a manifestation that has come into existence based on the environment that in which it is and the and the drushti that it has brought in. That's all. Don't expect the next chitta to be faithful, to be loyal, to do exactly what this chitta promised. Don't expect that. Don't ever expect that. So don't expect your husband who has said, till death we do we part, to wait until your death to part. Don't expect that. I'm not saying don't get married. Get married, understanding this. Then you'll ask me, how do I get married? So I'm after I've understood this. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, now people have started coming up to me and saying, like in, even in Rajagiri, I mean, I don't know how I can continue to live my life like this. Now I have begun to understand the Dhamma. <laughs> what do I do? They ask me. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't ask you to come here. I only asked you to listen to the Dhamma. I didn't ask you to come here. I don't know what to do. You know, you're going to find yourselves in this situation. Because, you know, it's like when you have, you're, in, you're on the fence now. Previously, it was you, what do they call it, uh, blissfully unaware, blissful ignorance. Right? On the other side, you have blissful wisdom, but on the fence. Now you are ignorant, you are no longer ignorant, you are wise, you know what's going on, but only the blissfulness has gone. Painfully insightful, painfully wise. You have to jump now to the other side so that you can be blissfully wise again. That's how all of these people have jumped. They all encroached the fence, then got onto the fence as the Dhamma kept flowing, as people began, kept understanding, right? And they slowly encroached the fence, then got onto the fence. Sometimes people come and say, I'm gonna here, I wanna stay here for a week. I said, okay, try it. <laughs> they don't realize that at the end of the week, things are going to happen. So he said, all right, try it, week, week, week. At the end of that week, that week, their strong gets weak. So, so then they, they want to stay another week. Oh, okay, stay another week, see what happens. Two, three weeks on, and like, I want to stay. For no other reason, other than listen to the Dhamma. The Dhamma helps you realize the truth. And then you realize, you know, you've been doing something so foolish. You know, people are only ignorant. They're not, they're not fools. People are ignorant. So anyone who enjoys a life of sensuality is no questions asked, no other reason, ignorance. They're blissfully ignorant. There's no other reason why anyone would enjoy a sensual life. Prove me wrong if you can and I will come with you and live your sensual life. Prove me wrong if you can.
Ignorance is the only reason why you can live a sensual life. A life enjoying and satisfying or trying to satisfy your five senses. A life trying to satisfy your sights, your smells, your touch, your taste, all these things you can only do because you're ignorant. I'm saying, I'm not asking you to stop enjoying your sensual life. All I'm asking you to do is accept that you're ignorant. At least that way, there's a motivation inside. There's a motive inside to try and fix that problem. Isn't there? At least when you understand, um, this is all because I'm ignorant. Then at least, you know, now you have a stick with which you can hit yourself. That's what I'm trying to do. Here's a stick. Take it before you go home. So you can keep on whacking yourself with it and reminding yourself that I'm only living this sensual life because I'm ignorant. I'm talking about the sensual life. I'm not talking about a life fulfilling duties and responsibilities. That is a very different thing. I'm talking about a sensual life. If you are living your life in this human, on this human planet for the purpose of delighting your senses, if that is why you live, someone comes up to you and asks, would you like to live another day? Yep. Why? Because I want to please myself. I want to see all these wonderful things, these lovely things. There are so many more places I'd like to go and see. I've not been to Japan yet. I've not been to Taiwan yet. I've not been to Burma yet. I've not been to Thailand yet. I've not, I've not been to all of these places. I want to go and see these places. You know, there are people who live their lives because they want to go traveling. There are. Why? Ignorance. That's all. Some will say, I want to live another day. Why? Because I haven't eaten this. I haven't eaten burgers. I haven't eaten kotu. I haven't eaten chicken. I haven't eaten mutton. I haven't eaten lamb. I need to eat these things and see what they're like. There are 300 types of pizza. I've only tried 250. What about the other 50? What if they are better than this? I have to try it. So please let me live another day. You know, is it not funny how when someone is sentenced to the glutton, right? When someone's sentenced to uh, the electric chair or the glutton or, you know, death uh, as punishment, they are asked, what would you like to eat? Just think about it. You know, isn't that like sealing their fate? They're not asked, who would you like to listen to a sermon from? Are they? They're not sat, and sat down and put Buddha's guide to happiness to watch. That's not what they get. Put Buddha's guide to happiness to a side. You know, bring a pastor. Bring an imam. Bring a pusari. I mean, bring a figure of a god, a deity. Bring Lord Ganesh for heaven's sake. At least let them put a, a light and oil lamp. Give them a cross and put a figure of Jesus on a, on a cross. Let them have thoughts and of, of devotion in their hearts. But what do they get given? Their last meal. Just think about it. So now they're feasting on it. Because, you know, what food is, you know, it, it, is, it is one device that can give you all sensual experiences. It has sight, it has sound, as you go crunch, crunch, crunch. It has smell, it has taste, and it has touch. All five in one bundle. Sealing their fate. On one side you keep reminding them what they've done bad. You murdered, you raped, and on the other side, let's seal your fate. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, sensuality, 
whack. Five in one. Does that not seal their fate? Just think about it. Last meal. So just imagine if someone said for the next three days you're not going to be able to eat. And how do you eat then? That's, I mean, I, I can't imagine of a greater sin than that. A greater misfortune than that. You know, take pity on what's going on out there. But they think, you know, they're doing them a service. You know, a happy man. Is, you know, if you if you fill his if you fill his stomach, then he's going to be happy. This is what they think. So therefore, they give him a meal. What a pity! At least make it mandatory that they have to listen to some pirit. Make it mandatory that they have to bring, you know, some of, someone of their faith and have them sit down and listen to a talk. Make that mandatory, because you can't block your sense of hearing. They have to listen to it. <coughs> they get the last meal. I'm not suggesting any of that has to change, but because there's no point in me suggesting that. It's not going to happen. But I'm just saying, you know, look at what, uh, what ignorant minds do to other ignorant minds. The blind leads the blind. So what hope is there that someday that who, who, he who is led will eventually get to a destination? Because they're led by the blind. It's incredible. The strategies and devices that people come up with to keep themselves happy. So I need you to wake up and develop yourselves. Come to this understanding. Come out of ignorance. If you are living a life and another day is something that you seek, something that you would beg for, something that would make you feel very happy because it's another day in which you can, on which you can enjoy sensuality, just understand that you're ignorant. If you ask for another day, ask it for one, only one reason and one reason alone. Give me another day so that I can attain Nibbana, so that I can understand that sensuality is just fake. That is the only reason why one would have to ask for another day, another day of life. After all, you know, life was a gift so that we could come into this world and understand the truth, wasn't it? That is what life is for, it's a gift. But people make a curse out of it and it becomes the biggest punishment. And when people do things that seals their fate for not just the next birth, but for many births to come, many yawns to come. And then Buddhas come and go during that time. But they're not here, they're not where the Buddha Dhamma prevails. Where's your dead grandmother today? You're here practicing the Dhamma, you're here listening to the Dhamma. Right? Where's your dead grandmother today? Now she doesn't get the Dhamma. Too late for her. So, but she lived a life, she lived a full life. Eat, sleep, drink, reproduce. Eat, sleep, drink, reproduce. Eat, sleep, drink, reproduce. Once she had three children, she stopped. That's it. What a sad life. Well, she did one thing. She reproduced one child, and then they had another. They had they had children, and they had you. The only good thing that came out of your grandmother being alive, coming into this world, you came into being, and now you are able to fulfill the path and attain nibbana. The only useful, productive thing that ever happened. 
So for that we can be happy about, but everything else, what for? You know, what's the point of doing something you have to keep doing again and again and again and again and again? And when you do it, you feel like you've done it, you feel, you, you feel satisfied, you feel fulfilled, but the truth is, you haven't even started. If you keep on starting things that have no ending, when can we ever be happy? No matter what you do, you're doing something that has no ending, you just keep on doing it. This is the only thing that is worth doing, that's why we keep on saying, this is again manipulation. I'm manipulating you, I am. I put my hand up and say, yeah, I'm absolutely manipulating you. I'm asking you to rethink your choices. I'm asking you to replan your life. I'm asking you what are you going to do for the rest of this year, right? And I'm trying to get you to start thinking along the same choices that I have made as much as you possibly can, all because I know that this is the only thing that is worth doing. And I do it not because there's something I want out of this. There is no provided I get what I want here. There's only provided you get what you need, not want. Forget your wants. It's what you need that, that matters. That is what this community is for. <laughs> I mean, folks, you know, you have no idea how fortunate we all are. We have no idea how fortunate we all are. The more you understand this Dhamma, the more you realize how fortunate we all are because this is the only essence there is that frees the human soul, the human condition from suffering. This is the only essence there is. For as long as you sense an I, there's always going to be I wants. And for as long as you have I wants, there's always going to be I will do therefore. And therefore the world goes on. You know, if you look out, step outside and look at the world out there, go to the, the center of a, a street, right? Go to uh, the high street, look around you, and all you'll see is I, I wants and I'll do's. That's all you see. Behind a computer is sat and I want, therefore I'm doing. At the supermarket you have I wants and therefore I do's. Stop, start, stop thinking about the world in terms of people and start thinking of the, about the world about chittas that wants and do's. Next time you go to the supermarket and you see people walking up and down the aisles, when they, as they start dipping their toes into the ice cream freezers, right? as you see people walking around, hugging, hugging each other, holding hands, singing, dancing, partying, right? Stop thinking about what's this person doing, what's that person doing, but rather start thinking about I need, I want and therefore I'm doing. That's what's going on. The fire of wanting keeps on burning inside, so therefore this furnace just keeps on heating up and therefore to find some solace there, you have to do it. Relieve yourself a little bit from, from that vexation. But there's nothing that you can do about vexation that can actually exterminate and extinguish vexation other than the Buddha Dhamma. Nothing more you can, can, can you do. But people don't realize it, so they just keep on doing it. Like the rash we talked about last week. They just keep on scratching it. Scratching a rash never made it better. But what can people do because they have no alternative? You are so lucky and so fortunate because you know the alternative. You don't have to scratch it. So have pity, have sympathy on all these people, ladies and gentlemen. What, what, what good is it that you can claim royalty? What good is it that you can claim an abundance of wealth, youth, whatever? What good is it that you can claim you are at the pinnacle of your profession? What good is it if when you have a rash you have no alternative but to scratch yourself?
Therefore, when you have a vexation, if you have no alternative but to relieve yourself from vexation, what good is it? What else you have in your life? What is the worth of any of that? I'm, t- I'm telling you these things so you can understand and realize the value of what you have today. Alas, it is not you who needs to hear these words. But those who need it, they're not here. Those who are here, they don't need this. It's a catch-22. So therefore the world goes on. But then I can't gather up a bunch of people who don't need to listen to this, who don't want to listen to this and say, come here, I'm going to give you a sermon. Sit down, listen. They don't want to be here. You can't give it to them. That's why the only answer is merits. See, now you can see why merits is the, is the key driving force here. How do you get someone who doesn't want Nibbana to want Nibbana? Hmm? Now, you're here and I can talk to you, but you don't need to hear these things because you, you get the Dhamma, you, have, you are self-motivated, you have the inspiration and you want to keep going. Right? And whatever extent to which you, have commit, you can commit yourself to the path of salvation, you have. You've done that. So the people who need to hear these words are not here. How do you get them here? Absolutely. Yeah. Merits. Without merits, you can't play this game. That's like trying to play Monopoly without money. You can't play. You need it. Or like trying to play Scrabble without the tiles. <laughs> you, can't, you can't. You need it. Or like trying to play cards without the card pack. <laughs> or like trying to play snake and ladders without the dice. You can't. These are the, this is the fundamental need, the, need, the merits that we, or we've, all, we've all gathered and accumulated that keeps driving us together forward. And every, every time you bring yourselves here, you earn more merits. Every time you listen to the sermon, you earn more merits. Every time you, sit, you place a seat there and ask someone to come and sit down, you give them a glass of water. You see, you see someone a bit tired or maybe dozing off, you give them a tap and wake them up. All of these are merits. Because what are you doing that for? Provided I get what I want? No. Provided they get what they need. That's why you're doing it. All merits. These are all kusar. Because the objective is Nibbana. Not expecting something in return for yourselves. You see Nibbana as the objective and towards that, these are a special kind of merits. These are not those merits that go up there and then in return you get a good mattress <laughs> or a good, uh, you know, a nice house or a nice car. These are not those merits. These are the merits that help you stay alert, vigilant, insightful. Those things. Things that are required to one's practice on Nibbana, on the path to Nibbana. Right, so bearing that in mind, let's come back here. We are trying to understand who we are. <clears throat> who are you really? You are just a chitta. Come to your senses about that. In, even in this moment, right? If, if after you leave this sermon hall and you, your mind starts going in various directions, right? For the time being, while you're here, focus on this. You are just your chitta. And what is your chitta is the next question then. Your chitta is the environment in which it is. So it is influenced by the environment in which it is as well as the object that it has taken and the way in which it perceives that object. 
So that perception of that object relies partly on memory, on the drushti, the environment in which it was left, because remember, each chitta creates an environment for the next one. That's why I say each chitta is unique. It has never arisen before until never again, because the environment is also always unique. In this environment, you had, this chitta was born in an environment that was created for it by the previous chitta. So the next chitta, when it comes, it was created, this environment was influenced by this chitta, not the previous chitta, but this chitta, not the next chitta, but this chitta. Do you see, because this this chitta is never going to arise again, that environment is never going to arise again. You see how unique it is? No, it's, it's, it's the conditions in which the vipaka is going to come to fruition. Remember we talked about nurture and nature? So, I'm, I'm trying to explain to you why your chittas are so unique and how unreasonable it is to expect what one chitta does for the next chitta to do. Once you come to this awareness, ladies and gentlemen, it will become easier for you to live among others as well as with yourself. So that when your mind starts to play tricks, when your mind starts to, to, starts to say things and ask for things and demand things, you can come to awareness that this is, this is the demon speaking. I'm trying to help you come to Yoniso Manasikara when you are in Ioniso Manasikara because this is the first step that most people struggle with. Sometimes they come up and say, I've been, Swaminasa, it takes me three hours to come, back to, to come back to my senses. Sometimes it takes a whole day until the end of the day when I sit down and reflect on how I spent my day. Until such time, I, I don't know. My thoughts just keep on, keep, keep on passing. And I don't know what had happened. It's only at the end of the day I come to my, come to my senses. Oh, I, I did things I shouldn't have done. I said things I shouldn't have said. What was I thinking? I wasn't contemplating on Anichidu Kanatta. I was contemplating on entities. So now you are at a stage where you want to catch yourself drifting to Ayonsa Manasikara. Am I not right? That's what you're trying to do now. You know that Ayonsa Manasikara is where you ought to be, but you keep drifting to Ayonsa Manasikara and you want to bring yourself back to Ayonsa Manasikara so you can contemplate on the manifestation of objects rather than the entities that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So for that, you need to be aware of this. Each chitta is all there is. So as I say this, teach this to yourselves. Each chitta is all there is. Each chitta arises in a completely new environment. That environment is unique. It has never arisen before and it never will again. And I've proven to you why that is. Because each chitta arises in an environment that was influenced by the previous chitta. That previous chitta is never going to arise again. So therefore, this environment is never going to arise again. Even when you have the same chitta, even if, a, even if the same label chitta arises, the environment is different. The object it takes is different. So therefore, each chitta is so unique. So if each chitta is so unique, ladies and gentlemen, how can you expect to be the same person now and then later and before? How can you consider yourself to be an entity? How can you consider yourself to be a being, a sentient being? Because you are just a chitta. And then why do you expect? You project these expectations, you place these expectations on other people around you. You are creating hell for yourself every time you do that. So here's what I'm asking you to do. 
whenever something happens, someone says something, someone does something, someone behaves in a certain way, try to come to your awareness that this is just in this moment, the environment, the chitta, the drushti, all, it, all of it influencing this manifestation. That's it. Here's the benefit of doing that. You don't fall out with people unnecessarily. Someone comes up to you and says something harsh. You don't think badly of them and think to yourself, you know, this person, I'm not going to associate with them again. They, they say harsh things. No, it's not they say harsh things. A harsh thing was said in that chitta. I'm not saying it was individual chitta, maybe a few chittas, but they may never say something like that again. Or they might say worse. But you box them. You label them. You label them as good people or bad people. Come out of that thinking. Because it is not so. This is why Arhatan Mahanse can deal with you no matter what, how you come. Because they don't label you as good people or bad people. They understand that this is just a manifestation at that moment. Take for instance, think about this for a second. Say you're on a bus. Okay? Um, Now I'll take another example. Okay, say someone um, harms you in some way. Let's say they've stolen something from you. Okay, they've stolen something from you. And then the following day, they don't, they don't come and confess, but you catch them. And now you realize they've stolen something from you. And upon... Asking about it, they confess, yes, I did take it, and I'm sorry about it, so now, and they're happy to return it to you, let's say. So they return it to you. Can you stop yourself from now labeling that person as a thief? Incredibly difficult. Your mind, almost automatically, whenever you see them, will label them as a thief. So therefore, they will always be seen as a thief. Now, now put yourself in that situation. If you put yourself in that situation and someone call, keeps calling you a thief, you say, please, it only happened once. It's not like I've ever done it before. And I'm never going to do it again. Why do you keep calling me a thief? You know, cut me some slack, please. I'm not a bad person. It just happened in that moment because, you know, circumstances were such... I was, I was struggling to find the money to do whatever, right? You come up with whatever excuse you do, and then you, you, you will expect that they don't label you. Won't you expect that? When you make a mistake, and I'm asking this question so you can relate it better, right? When you make a mistake, something happens, some, you know, a slip of the tongue or a misdeed, right? Inadvertently or deliberately, right? You do something, and then you get caught out. You even get punished. Do you like for you to be labeled as someone who does things like that? Or are you always not going to keep saying, it was just one instance in which, which it happened, please don't label me like that? In your mind, don't you not keep coming up and saying that? And then you try and you know, fight your case and you say, please don't call, keep calling me that. I'm not, I'm not like that. It just happened once. That's it. But we do the same to others, don't we? Yes, Atthana Upmankatta. 
When, when you do that, you do it for others. You do it to others. You can't stop yourself from doing that. That is because when this, there's only a chitta, but what you don't see is a chitta. What you see is an, an individual, an entity. The other way is also true. If someone is good to you, on one instance, you think they're always good to you. Do you see the perils in both of this? If someone comes up to you and says something nice, you think they're nice people. Where are the nice people? Hmm? Conventionally, I'm not challenging anything, okay? Convention has to stay. So there are nice people and there are good people, there are bad people, there are thieves and there are robbers and there are philanderers and there are all sorts of people in this world. Conventionally. But, really, ultimately, absolute truth-wise, in, the, in that sense, where are the nice people in this world? Where are the kind people in this world? Show me a kind person. Where are the generous people in this world? So why do we say the Buddha has infinite wisdom? Why do we say he is of infinite compassion? Here's why. Every chitta that arises is infinitely compassionate. There's not a single chitta that passes without wisdom. So therefore he's infinitely wisdom, wise. Infinite wisdom. The Buddha himself was not an entity. Chittas. Yes, with infinite wisdom. Each chitta with infinite wisdom, each chitta with full understanding that rupa is anicca, dukkha and anatta. Full understanding. Infinite wisdom. Infinite wisdom in infinite chittas. Yeah, even those chittas change, but they have a temperament. The temperament, the, the, the temperament of, of compassion, of loving kindness. You're never going to get something unkind from the Buddha. Because there's no environment for something that like, like that to arise in that mind. A defiled chitta cannot arise in that, in that environment because the environment has been cleaned, cleansed, purified. Previously it was defiled before he, before he became the Buddha, but the Dhamma did its magic on him. That's what happened. So what I'm asking you to do is, when you come across people, now, let's take, now don't look either side, but see whether you don't have an opinion about the person sat either side of you. You will have an opinion about them. You'll think they're a good person. They're a very kind person. They're a gentle person. Most of you will be thinking like that. Oh, somebody might there's a stranger, if this is your first time here today. Stranger. Not a very nice person. Many of you will not be thinking like that. Most of you will be thinking kind person, nice person, gentle person, very good person, and so on. Right? Where? Where's that person? Who's that person? These are just chittas. These are chittas. I'm not saying they're not nice. I'm not saying they're not gentle or they're not kind. They are. But it's not they, as in persons. The chittas, they. These chittas, they. These are the chittas. So when you refer to they, he is nice, she is nice. He is what? Chittas. She is what? Chittas. Each chitta will take its own object, will have its own temperaments, will have its own characteristics, will, be, will arise in its own environment. Stop seeing the world as human beings. Stop seeing the world as beings and start seeing the world as chittas that arise and pass away in these material objects.
Now, you don't stigmatize, you don't label, you don't stereotype. You don't do any of those things. Because there's no reason to do that. All you see is a chitta. That awareness sets you free. So, practice that. Try and practice that. If someone bumps into you and then out of courtesy they say, I'm really sorry. Now don't go around saying, I know this person, they're very polite, they're very courteous, you know, that's all they are. How do you know? Because the next time they bump into you, they might swear at you. Or maybe it is just because you are a stranger to them, they were courteous, but at home, they're far from it. Maybe they're like that. So how do you know? How can you say? How can you label someone as a saint? You can't. For that, you have to have every confidence that every chitta that arises is free of defilements. That's the only time you can label someone as a saint. Are you a saint? <laughs> Why can't you become one? So we all aspire to, to sainthood. Whereby there are no chittas that arise within us that are defiled, that are impure, that are based in Raga, Dvesha and Moha. And all of them are based in Vita, Raga, Vita, Dosa, Vita, Moha. So in other words, there is no Raga, there is no Dvesha, there is no Moha. Fully wise. So, whoever is at the side of you, whoever is in the mirror, by the way, they're also not people, they're not, they're not entities, they're not identities, they're just chittas. Take a moment and think of yourself as just a chitta for a second. See if you can reflect on that. Just think of yourself as a chitta. A chitta that has drushti. A chitta that has mental factors, what we call chaitasika, which, which determine its temperaments. A chitta that has, been, that has arisen in an environment that was created to it and influenced on it by the previous chitta. And all the previous chittas, it's not just an individual previous chitta, but all previous chittas have, have conditioned that environment. Think of yourself as that, as just a chitta. Now you lose your sense of identity. In that moment, for a split second, folks, you will lose your sense of identity, your, your, lens, your sense of self. And then you come to reality. Once you come to reality, now you are in Upeksha. Because now there are no entities which need to co conflict or connect with other entities. Because there are no entities. All, the, all there are are just chittas. So awaken to this truth. Reflect on it. Let it do its magic to you. Then when you, if you, 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 I mean you can practice, you can see how well this has been instilled in your mind. Sites that Ignited the fire of desire within you. The Buddha says that to a man, it is the sight of a woman that does it most. And he says to a, to a woman, it is the sight of a man that does, it, that does it most. That arises the fire of desire within them. If you see a man or a woman, then this is bound to happen. But if you see a chitta that arises in a body, and a body is an aggregate, of Patavi Apotejo Vayu, or muscles, bones, blood, and all that. Not putrid things, just matter, that's it. If you can see that, 
Now there is no man or woman to be seen, so therefore there is no desire or lust in the mind. Can you love a chitta? Can you have lustful thoughts towards a chitta? How about towards carbon? I lust carbon. You can't. So once you see that all these are manifestations of matter, and the mind also is a manifestation of energy, now you have manifestations of matter and manifestations of energy. So who's your mother? Manifestations of matter and energy. Who's your spouse? Manifestations of matter and, matter and energy. Who are your siblings? Manifestations of matter and energy. Who's your worst enemy? Or what is your worst enemy? Manifestations of matter and energy. So then, do you have a worst enemy? See, the moment, let's, say, let's just say previously, not now, but many years ago, many moons ago, you had someone you really disliked in your life. Okay, you really despise them. Not just dislike, you despise them. There would have been a few individual events which, have, which would have led you to come to that conclusion. A few individual events. In that moment, if someone asked you, why do you despise them? You would have said, because, you know, he, 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 has, he speaks so harshly, right? And he's very intolerant. He's very uh, inconsiderate about others. But you chose to ignore all of the good things that they do, didn't you? See what happens when you label people. As I said, when you, each chitta projects the future. Don't fall into this trap. Each chitta projects the future. If you come across a bad behavior, you project it in the future and you label it bad person. If you see a good behavior, again you project it in the future and you say, good person. There are no good persons and bad persons. There are just manifestations of goodness and badness. That's it. My ask is, open up your eyes and, and become aware of this truth so that you don't end up getting into conflicts with other people and harboring hatred and anger and animosity and vengefulness in your mind towards others. Because who kills your... You know, what does anger kill? First of all, it kills you before it kills the other person. It's like drinking poison, expecting someone else to die. That's what harboring anger is. It doesn't work. Well, it works. <laughs> but it's only a counter effect. So when you see goodness, right? When you see, when you see a good deed done, a good deed, now I need you to be able to define in, ter in chitta terms. So this is going into atomic chemistry, whereas we had molecular chemistry previously. Now we have atomic chemistry. So de define a good person. Who's a good person? I'm not going to say there are no such things called good per I mean, I just did, you know, in the, in the previous breath. I said there are no such things called good persons. Conventionally, there are good persons, but what do we actually mean when we say good persons is what is important. These are chittas. So when someone did something bad to you, and I was talking about you despise someone, did you not forget all the good things that they have done, they are doing, and they will be doing in the future? Maybe not towards you, but what about towards their mother? Maybe towards somebody else? 
towards their friend? Why don't you take any of that into consideration? Yes, why? For the reason that I, what I said at the beginning of this sermon. Yeah. Do you remember what I said right at the beginning of this talk? Yourself and how everything around you are, create, are actors on this stage of the drama that you want to act out as a self being the director, everyone now has to play the part that you want them to play. So when you think someone's bad, they are bad, apparently. So no matter how good they are, in other situations and other circumstances, none of that is taken into consideration. They are bad. If you have decided they are bad, they are bad. It's like a royal decree. They are bad. You can send them to the gallows now because there's no, no hope. They're bad. See, whenever you deal with reality, with your conventional awareness, you're placing orders. Don't forget that. An arahant comes up to you and says, Hey, Vasalea, stop doing that. You go, they're bad. They're terrible. Now you come to that conclusion. What is the reality? There was a chitta that arose, an arahant chitta, and in that chitta there was a sankara. That sankara, there was a vachi sankara, kaya sankara, and manu sankara. The word vasalaya was created in that, and it was uttered. All influenced by environment, influenced by memory, influenced by drushti. If you think Pirindavacha Maharatan Mahase would have said that if he knew that the people who heard that were insulted and offended, you think he would have done that? No. So therefore his knowledge base his, his, the information that he holds true in that pool of knowledge, he has no idea, no sense at all that this word is offensive. He has no idea that people are offended by this or insulted by it. So therefore, he, you know, that was just his, his practice. He'd been used to that. You know, he, it wasn't something he was born with. His, in, his environment influenced that. So therefore, he'd heard someone saying it and so he picked it up. And then he was, you know, he, he started saying it as a lay person and then he went on to become a monk and also went on to become a great arahant. And he continued saying that. But he didn't realize that it was offensive or insulted anyone. Until the Buddha summoned him and said, don't use that word because people find it offensive. Oh, I didn't know. But when he was saying those things, no orders were placed. After the Buddha told him, Pirinda, you are not supposed to be using that word because people find it offensive. Still, no orders were placed. Even if he had said it after that, no orders were placed. Because if it was a practice that he had for a while, right, he would have found it perhaps, you know, difficult to break it, but he would have made conscious effort. I, I, I can't expect an Rahatan once he would immediately stop something. I mean, he's of course going to be mindful, but, you know, some things will be practice, behaviors that they have picked up, habits, that's the word. Habits, right? Some habits will take a while to break. So even if that did happen, let's just say, let's assume that it was a habit that needed to be broken. Even if that did happen, even now that the Buddha had said, don't say such things, and it, it was uttered by him, he would have said it and said, I'm really sorry, didn't mean to offend. But orders placed? No orders placed. No raga, no dosha, no moha, no intention to hurt. In fact, he would have even said it lovingly. Vasalaya. <laughs> He might have even said that. No ragadesha moha, no intention to offend. But my point is, 
if upon meeting that Rahadan, Vahante, and he says this word Vasalaya, and now you label him as a bad person, this is the problem with dealing with conventional truths when the reality, the absolute truth is something else. It's a different dimension. You got to be aware that the third dimension, the real dimension, is the, re- is the reality. Otherwise, you think the conventional truth is the real truth, and now you start dealing with that all the while. You're interacting with the third dimension, the real dimension, and now you're accruing merits and demerits based on that, not the, sec- not the second dimension. So whatever deeds you do, there's your part and there's the part that comes from the outside, right? There's a 50-50. Your contribution and the contribution that comes to you externally. The external element is determined not by who they are in a second dimension. It's determined by who they are in the third dimension because that is the reality. It is the reality. So when you, when you, when you kill someone, it matters not who you think it is. What matters is who they really are. So it becomes an anantari, a karma, a hina, sin, or it's still a bad, it's, it's still sinful to kill even an onarahant, but on very different scales, right? On very different levels. So it doesn't matter not who you think it is. What matters is who they really are. Therefore, it is the truth that always has an effect and contributes towards the ultimate the total of your merit or demerit power. So, so here's the deal. When you are offering something to an arahant, or to someone for that matter, remember, the person that you think you're offering to is not there. That's why we say don't make personal offerings. Or at least try not to make personal offerings. Try not to. But Ayanusam Manasikar always comes back in and you start making personal offerings. Here's what's really there, Chitta. Remember this gatha that you always chant when Swaminas is going Pindapata? Tina dosani kettani. Hmm? Raga dosa ayam paja. Tasma hivita ragesu. Dinanghoti mahapala. Tina dosani kettani. Like the weed is the defect of the field, desire is the defect of the mind. That's the meaning of that gatha. Tina is weed, the grass, how you want to look at it. Dosa is the defect. Kettani is the field. So like weed is the defect of the field, raga dosa ayampaja, of people, humankind. Desire is the defect. Then you have Dosa dosa ayampaja. That's the next stanza. Aversion is the defect. Moha dosa ayampaja. Delusion is the defect. And then tasma hi vita ragesu, tasma hi dosa vita dosesu, tasma hi vita mohesu, dinanghoti mahapala. But if an offering is made to a mind that is free of raga, therefore vita raga. If an offering is made to a mind that is free of... Ignore the mind for a second. If an offering is made to the quality of non-desire, where does the quality of non-desire exist? Now you'll have the answer. (laughs) Where does the quality of desire exist? In which individual? 
in a chitta. So where does the quality of non-desire exist? In a chitta. Where does the quality of aversion exist? In a chitta. The defect of aversion exists in a chitta. So where does the quality of non-aversion exist? In a chitta. And the same goes for delusion. So like Ragadesha Moha are defects of the mind, a chitta, Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha are qualities of chittas, Dinnang Hoti Mahapala. If an offering is made to the quality of Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha, those offerings bring you infinite reward, infinite bliss. Now where is the personal offering there? So here's what happens when you make a personal offering. If you're lucky, as I say, this always works on two dimensions. You interact with a, with a, two di- with a, sec- with a second dimension, with a conventional dimension, but what there really is, is the third dimension, the absolute dimension. Okay? So that's like saying there's a human being, but in the third dimension what there is is matter and energy. Mind and mind and matter, right? Such as. But on the top layer, you think that's a human being. It's a mother, a father, so on. So it's like you have water, but second dimension, third dimension, you have hydrogen and oxygens interacting with each other. If you want, you can go a further dimension down. You can just say protons, neutrons, electrons, neutrons, and so these interacting with each other. So ultimately, you have the absolute truths. That's all there are in this world. Just the absolute truths. Conventionally, because the ignorant mind perceives the conventional reality as the as the absolute reality, now it thinks it's interacting with the with the second dimension. So here's what happens when you make a personal offering. If you are lucky, if you are so lucky, as you make that personal offering, let's say to a hermit, to an ascetic, to a monk, to a mother, to a father, to any human being, what matters? How, the, the, the part, the portion that contributes to how much energy that you, sorry, how much merit you earn from the external entity is determined by that chitta at the point of your offering. Now think about this for a second. There's a monk. Put monks to a side. Say there's a hermit. Okay? In meditation under a tree. You look at this and you feel like you want to offer him some milk rice. All right. So you, you just walk past and you see there's a hermit sat under a tree. I want to make an offering to this hermit. So now you go home and you prepare the milk rice and you bring it the following morning. Now who do you want to offer this to? This hermit. This individual. So you bring the milk rice. Now previously the hermit was in meditation. What you didn't see was overnight a woman had walked past had disturbed his meditation, he'd, he'd woken up from his deep state of meditation, and he'd, has, he'd had lustful thoughts. So it, it had ignited the, the fire of lust that had laid dormant within him, say for a year, a whole year. But that lust, those embers, had been inflamed the previous night. Not embers, embers. They had been inflamed the previous night. Now you will come in with your milk rice. So you interrupt them. Venerable sir. They open their eyes. Now they are still trying to overcome the lustful thoughts that they had from the previous night. 
and they see you and they start having lustful thoughts again. Now you're making this offering to this person. In their hearts, they're looking at you, they're studying your figure. They're looking at how beautiful your eyes are. They're looking at how plump your lips are. He's looking at your figure, all the while having lustful thoughts within them. You think you're making this offering to a hermit. There is no hermit. <laughs> there's a mind and there's a body. Because although you believe you're interacting with the second dimension, what there really is, is the third dimension, the absolute reality. Chitta, Chaja, Sika, Rupa, Nibbana, that is all that really are. So now you're making an offering to a chitta that is full of desire. That has been overwhelmed with desire. In fact, as you make the offering, he even makes a slight attempt to touch you. But you are completely blind to this, because in your heart, you have hermit. So on your side, 100% on your side. But on the other side, because you're making this personal offering, their contribution is very little, hardly any at all. Because now what you're making an offering to is just a chitta full of lust. Like the field that is defect, that is defect with, the, with, the, with the weeds, this mind is defected, is defect with lust, desire. So no dinnanghoti mahapala. No. Your part has been done, but on the other side, their contribution is next to none. Now what if you... Yes. So now what if you make that offering to the Mahasanga? This is not no longer a personal offering. You make the offering to the Mahasanga. So who is the object of your offering now? The Mahasanga, not the individual. The Mahasanga is a representation, is an embodiment of Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha. So now it matters not to you whether that chitta has Riraga, Dvesha or Moha. You are not making that offering to that chitta at all. You are making that offering to the quality, the virtues of Sila, Samadhi and Pragna. Therefore it is unblemished, unaffected by the nature of that chitta. Because in your mind, your thoughts are towards Vitaraga, Vitadosa, Vitamoha, towards the Mahasanga, an embodiment of all the great virtues there are, of all the great qualities there are. So this is why you always say, don't make personal offerings. You're doing yourselves a disservice. Because the offering is the same, right? Whatever the material object that you're offering, you know, you, if you worked hard to earn that, say you, you know, you work, you spent your entire fortune, you spent a fortune on, on building it, making it, whatever, and now you come and make an offering. And if it is made, now, see, how, otherwise, how do you earn merits by offering flowers to the Buddha statue? Then, then there has to be no merits whatsoever. Because if two parts need to combine, your thinking and the power that comes from the other side, this is just brick. Plaster of Paris, clay, fiberglass, whatever it might be, glass. That's all it is. So how do you earn merits by offering a glass of water? How do you earn merits by offering an oil lamp, some flowers at the, at the feet of the Buddha on the altar? If you actually think you're offering to the cement, the, 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 the bricks 
the glass, the materials here, I don't know what qualities they might have. They might have some good qualities, at least the qualities of being together and coming, taking shape, right? Those qualities are the qualities that are going to contribute from their side, from that side. Whereas if you, you know, upon sight of the Buddha statue, your mind is now full of devotion towards Buddhahood. Bhagava, Arahang. Arahang cannot be encaptured within a, within a statue. It's, it's a quality, isn't it? It's an infinite quality. But then why do we use the statues? Because the statues help us to project that. To, 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 it helps us to create that object in our mind. Because, you know, as you look at this, for instance, it's difficult to think of Arahan. You're thinking pen. But these are symbols which we have come to know are representations of what is Buddha. So it helps. The untrained mind, it helps. The well-trained mind, you don't need statues. The well-trained mind, everything is Buddha. No matter where you look, it is Buddha. You, ha- you get, get a, 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 you know, a pile of dung and put it on the floor and then ask a well-trained mind, worship the Buddha, get on your knees in front of the dung, worship the Buddha. You can. He'll even say, I don't have to get in front of the dung. The Buddha is in my mind all the time, so I can worship the Buddha, it's fine. Because Buddha is a virtue. But in our daily lives, we use symbols to inspire us, to have those thoughts in our mind. You know, for, for the, the thought of Buddha to arise in the mind, having those symbols are useful. That's why you still have a, a picture of your mother at home. Because upon seeing that, you are remembered of how motherly she was, how kind she was, how generous she was. So when you, when you see your mother's picture... If you bring your hands together and make and 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 bring a, and and you know make a veneration, instead of thinking your, of your mother as an individual, if you can think of the goodness that she 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 gave out to the world, the kindness, the generosity that she she expounded, right? Those virtues you can make a veneration to, and the sight of your mother, that picture of her hung up on the wall, helps you do that, because upon seeing this, you don't think mother, because when you see this, you perceive this object, don't you? But the tamed mind, or the trained mind, the well-trained mind, where it is free of Raghadvesh and Moha, now all objects can be, can help perceive Buddha, because Buddha is everywhere. Buddha is a virtue. So the Arahant doesn't need a statue. But if you see an Arahant, if you see someone taking a, a basket of flowers and going and offering it at the statue, don't assume that it is not an Arahant. Because conventionally, they live a very normal life. You can't tell an arahant just from looking at the outside. So you'll see an arahant offering the Buddha puja, of course. At the statue, the statue is here, he's not going to offer it here. He's going to keep it by the, by the altar where the statue is. If the statue is a bit crooked, he'll straighten it. So you can't say, oh, see, not an arahant. He feels the need to straighten the statue. You can't say like that. Because he knows conventionally there are certain norms, there are certain things that we have to adhere to. And he does that. That is all knowledge. So this is why personal offerings have the potential to bring you less merits. Now, if you make a personal offering, say, to your pet dog, versus a personal offering to a human being, of course, the person offering to a human being will tend to be much more 
meritorious than the person offering you mate to a dog. But let's say upon seeing the dog, you think, how kind. Not the dog, kindness. Kindness comes to mind. How loyal. Loyalty comes to mind. And thinking of the loyalty, you, may, you give it a biscuit, the dog a biscuit. Now that offering has been made not to the dog but to loyalty. I mean, this is incredibly difficult for, a, for an average human being to do because as long as soon as you see the dog, you think there's a dog there. Yeah? I mean, this is why this understanding helps to magnify and amplify and elevate the power of merits that you earn. Because you now realize there's no such thing called a dog. These are just chittas and chittas have characteristics, chittas have temperaments and it is those temperaments that exist, those qualities that exist, those, 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 characters, those virtues that exist, not the dog. It's those qualities that created the dog, isn't it? When you think like a dog, you become one. Because you are what you think. So say you are making a personal offering to a dog and then you are making a personal offering to a, a human being. If, when those two things are considered, you, you will earn more merits by making the offering to the human being. Because at least, you know, they might have kindness, you know, because they are born in, this, in the Sukhati world, right? So they, they tend to be more pure in heart than animals, because animals are almost incapable of having such wholesome thoughts, almost incapable. But if you think about virtues, if you think about qualities, and you see a person, and that ignites within you anger, okay, that, that brings out sentiments of anger within your heart, but you look at the dog and you have sen sentiments of loyalty and such, such thoughts, on those occasions it is better to offer to the dog. Because now you're not offering to the dog per se, you're actually offering it to those qualities. So it's always better to offer to the qualities. But let's take another aspect of it. Let's say you're offering, um, you're offering something to a quality. You're offering something to the quality of nobleness. Okay? A noble quality, whatever that quality might be. You're making an offering to a noble quality. But the individual that is receiving it does not possess those qualities. This is a question that most people have. What if the Swami Nuhansa I'm offering to is not virtuous? Will I still earn those merits? Intention. Your intention is, on this side, that is pure. That's fine. So your intention is to give. Your intention is charity. Right? I'm talking about the object of your chitta. The object of giving, not necessarily the intention. The intention is giving. But what is the object? Where, who, do you want to, who do you want to give that offering to? Is it a quality or is it an individual? Right? So when you're offering to a quality and the, and, the, and the person, the individual who's receiving that is not of that quality, the example is the statue. We talked about this earlier. So now if you earn no merits because the Swami Nuance is not virtuous, then you earn no merits by offering flowers with the Buddha statue. But if you make the offering to the individual Swami Nuhanse and you think that he is very virtuous, but he's not really, like I said, the hermit example, where they have lustful thoughts, and at the point of making that offering, remember there's no person there. All there are are chittas, 
Because you just because you've seen a good behavior, if you assume that this person is always like that and therefore create this individual and then make that offering to that person, what's really going on is you are making offerings to the individual chittas that, that are available at that point. Now, but say a good deed was done to you, they were, they were kind to you, they preached the Dhamma to you, right? And they helped you work out a problem that you had, right? Um, and, and they were able to show you compassion. I'm talking about the hermit, okay? They were able to show you compassion. Now, impressed by that compassion, you go looking for them and you make an offering. Provided that in your mind you're making this offering to the compassion that you were impressed by. How compassionate? Rather than the object being the individual there, there is no harm to the merit that you are going to earn. Because now your offering is to that compassion. Compassion itself is the, is the object of your merit. Now the question is, what if that individual who is receiving that is not compassionate? It doesn't bother you, but it will have an effect on them. You can't help that. Because they, have, you have, they are consuming an offering you have made to compassion when they are not compassionate. You are receiving, you're, sorry, you are giving, uh, I mean, you are making an offering to the 24 qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. You are making an offering to the noble virtues. What if the person who is consuming that is not noble? They are not striving to instill those noble values within them. It does you no harm. But the individual who is consuming that is taking something that was not offered to them. Because the offering was made to the virtue. And if they don't have the virtue within them, now it, it is tantamount to theft on their side. That's why the Buddha admonishes his disciples. If you are unvirtuous, see now you are beginning to see the, 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 the reasoning behind it, the logic behind it. If you are unvirtuous, if you are not f diligent in your practice, right? rather than consume what devotees offer you, you had better consume red-hot iron bowls because it will do you less harm than to consume the offerings that are made by virtuous, virtuous devotees. Because those offerings are made to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha as virtues, as qualities. Now you see why the Buddha says that? Because that is the reality. Although we think we interact with the second dimension, what we are really interacting with is the third dimension. We can understand the world in the second dimension, but the real workings of it, the cogs are turning, the wheels are rotating, all that is going on in the third dimension. So, even as devotees yourselves, right, you know how compassionately and how, 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 how religiously, how devoted and how piously you make offerings. And everybody else is the same. So when we are here at the monastery, whether here or whether somewhere else, even if you are at the church, you go for a visit to the church. You go for a visit to the mosque, you go for a visit to the Kovil, right? People there make those offerings to goodness, wholesomeness. So it wouldn't be right, you know, you're wrong, you're going on a trip for leisure. And on the way you stop by and go to the church and eat whatever is there. That wouldn't be right. You're going on a trip, you stop by and you walk into the temple, 
and you ask for some food and you have that, that wouldn't be right. Because remember, we've always been talking about this. Why something that has been offered to the virtue should not be consumed by someone who is unvirtuous? Because the offering, if it is to the virtue. Now, provided the chitta bears that virtue, that's fine. That's the deal. If an offering has been made to compassion, provided the chitta bears compassion, because where do virtues exist after all? They manifest in chittas, don't they? Virtues manifest in chittas. So provided the chitta bears that virtue, now this chitta is permitted. It is fine. It is, it is wholesome. It is acceptable for it to accept that offering. But what about in the next chitta, they have lust? Do you see how eating something that is offered out of devotion and piety is like meddling with fire? Because as devotees, you make offerings to the great virtues, Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. We are playing with fire. But that's good. Because if you are aware of this, then that leaves no other choice but to cleanse our minds and purify ourselves. Because you know what you are doing is, if you, if you are unvirtuous, then you know the harm that's going to come out of this. So therefore, the Buddha doesn't leave us Stranded. He gives us the Dhamma. He gives us the Dhamma to purify us, to cleanse us, to become great and become noble. That's why it is sinful almost. You know, the Buddha once said, if I were to lay down the fifth Parajika rule, because he only laid down four, if he, say, he said, if I were to lay down the fifth Parajika rule, it would be for consuming what devotees have offered you without the Pratyaveksha. And by Pratyaveksha, he didn't just mean Parisankayon, so just recite that. He was not a performance artist. <laughs> by Pratyaveksha, he meant contemplate on whether you have the Pratya, ignorance and attachment, with which you consume these meals, uses of these dwellings, wear the robes, consume the medicine to heal yourself. Are you doing it with ignorance and attachment? Are you doing it to build up your bodies and to look nice, to, 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 you know, to, to enjoy sensuality? Is that what you're doing it for? Or are you doing it purely for the purpose of Brahmacharya? If that is so, then that is Pratyaksha. Brahmacharya Anuggahai. See? Puranancha Vedanam Patiyankami, Navancha Vedanam Upadesam, Yatra Chami Bhavisati. To navigate the path of Bhava to get over it, to cross the ocean of bubble and get to the other side. This is what these offerings are for. Are they not what you offer things for? Yes, of course it is. So the Buddha reminds us, if you were to take what the devotees offer you without the Prateksha, if I could, that would be the fifth Parajika that I would lay down. But he didn't out of compassion. <laughs> because had he done, you'd all always been doubtful I mean, monks would go would starve themselves. Just imagine if he'd done that. That's why when the great elder Sariputta comes and asks the Buddha, Sir, may I lay down a few rules of my own? But the Buddha says, Sariputta, you're only second to me in wisdom, but that still doesn't make you the infinitely compassionate one. To lay down rules, you have to be infinitely compassionate. Let's hope the lawmakers are like that. 
you've got to be infinitely compassionate because you can't lay down a system to inflict punishment if it is done out of anger, resentment. You can't punish a child if you don't do it out of love. You mustn't because you're punishing yourself when you do that, not the child. So that is why the Buddha, the only one who is infinitely compassionate, says, no, it is only the Buddha who should be laying these rules down. So therefore, he never laid down that rule. Because had he done so, we would have all starved ourselves. Because then until you become an arahant, you know, you're always doubtful, aren't you? What's that last I had? I was munching on that, uh, on that biscuit and I felt that it was tasty. Oh God, I better spit it out. <laughs> so therefore, as monks, I mean, these are training rules for monks, he never laid down that rule. He said, Try and try to be virtuous. Because the answer to this is not to come into the sasana. It's not to not come into the sasana. Because it is in the sasana you get this training. So you've got to be one of these two things. Either you've got to be free of Ragadesha Moha, or if I ask you, do you think anyone is an Arahant in this monastery? Chances are not. So what are you making the offering for? To become an Arahant, right? To fulfill the practice. That is what you're making the, uh, the offering for. Now, if I'm someone who is diligently working on myself, working towards that practice, now it is right for me to consume that. Because that is what you're making that offering for. Either to those who are compassionate or those who are striving to become compassionate. Unconditionally compassionate. That makes me eligible. Not, I'm not talking about me, myself. I'm talking about anyone for that matter. That makes one eligible to consume that offering. So whilst you're here, wherever you are in the sasana, ensure that when you take your requisites, you are eligible for that. Otherwise, you're doing yourselves a big disservice. Especially monks, because at least, you know, when you go back home, you cook your own food and you eat. But here, <laughs> everything that comes through our gates are offerings made by pious devotees who, who make those offerings towards the purpose of quenching or extinguishing the fires of Raghadesh and Moha. So it is not right for any of us to consume anything for other than that, anything other than that. And here's the reason for that. Here's the logic behind it. Does that make sense? Good. I think anyone worth his salt who wants to, become, who wants to be a monk, who wants to practice monkhood, wants to be a bhikkhu or a bhikkhuni or an anagarika, anagarika, anyone. I think, you know, this is good stuff for them. As Sila Sravaka, Sravika, says, whilst you're here, whilst you're here, you don't have to be infinitely compassionate. You need to strive to, be, to become compassionate. Then you're eligible for whatever offerings are made. Then it matters not. But if while you're having it, you have, remember those days, used to, we've, we've heard stories of back in the day, Monks would go on arms, yeah, and having, having perhaps taken some arms into their arms bowl, if they had lustful thoughts towards something, or maybe they heard a bird, a, ch a chirping bird, and they and thought, that's lovely, that's nice, they would stop on their tracks, sit down, put the arms to a side, and they would contemplate. Because what they don't want is the next offering that is going to be made at the next doorstop to be made, because they know this, made, this offering is going to make, be made to Vitaraga, Vitadosa, Vitamoha. I don't want to be standing outside their door with my arms bowl and be someone who, is, who has thoughts of desire, who has thoughts of aversion, thoughts of delusion. 
because it wouldn't be right for me to accept that because those offerings are not made to those kind of qualities but they're made to Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha. Now you see why monks used to do that. The same goes. So when you're, when you're having your meals as well, contemplate on Anicca, contemplate on Dukkha, contemplate on Anatta. Ask yourself, you know, you, you, this, this won't immediately stop you, stop you from experiencing taste, deliciousness in your food. You know, when you, when you eat something sweet, you might find it delightful. It's okay. But contemplate. Ask yourself, how is it that this seems delightful? Provided you're doing that, you are more than eligible to take that meal. But if you just keep on eating, you know, wow, this is nice, can't I have some more? You've given up your eligibility to take that meal. Because that is not what it is offered for. If so, then you should be at a party. There, those offerings are made so that people can enjoy themselves sensually. But not here. That makes sense, doesn't it? Good. Let's conclude for today. Let us all take a moment then. To transfer the message that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, Inviting the Swami Nuhansis to deliver the Dhamma, listening to the Dhamma and creating a conducive environment for all those who have come from far and wide to listen to the Dhamma, practice it and attain to the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the message we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer this message to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery, and as well as the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these message and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. May, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. There is also transfer we have acquired to our devotees and friends at the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds and fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employers, our employees and our teachers, as well as those who've gone the extra mile every time it was available to them to help us support and assist us in every way, shape or form they could. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits 
To those who have passed away in our names, our loved ones, our forefathers, our ancestors, reminding ourselves that it is in their blood, sweat and tears today we are able to enjoy the comforts that, we are, that have been made available to us in which we can make progress in the path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Therefore, with gratefulness and gratitude towards all of them, let us transfer these merits to them. Let us also remind ourselves of the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, as well as men and women who've, who have been friends or four in, this, in the wars, they have fought and lost their lives. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives from natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, blizzards, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, friends and acquaintances to us, and those who would have done everything in their power and ability to help us, support and assist us in any way, shape or form. Let us remind ourselves of how grateful we ought to be towards all of them and with an abundance of compassion, loving kindness and gratitude. Let us transfer all the merits that we have all acquired to all of them and by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. And finally, may by the power and Blessings of all the means we have acquired throughout the day. We'll be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahans on this blessed land. And may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become Arahatan Vahanse or an Arahateranin Vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Raga Ginnamidatnva Dvesha Ginnamidatnva Moha Ginnamidatnva Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satnvayo Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Raga Gini Niveva Dvesha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivan 
තුන්වන්ගේ සූසි අනන්ත මහා ගුණ බලෙන් සීලු ලෝක සීලු සත්‍යෝම නිබ්බාන පරම සුඛයෙන් සුක්ත දරවෙත්වා සාදු සාදු සාදු